Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host, and today I have with me my lovely significant other and co-host, Deborah Micus. How are you today, Deborah? I'm good. Thanks. And today we'll be interviewing David Goodson of Goodson Pecans. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing great, Justin. Thank you for asking. So, David, I know that the pecan business is a family business for you, but tell us a little bit about your family's journey into the pecan farming. That's a great question. We, My dad uh, grew up uh, on a farm, and so the farm had everything from cattle to row crops, and it also had uh, you know about eight acres of pecan trees on it, and my dad always had an affinity for pecans. And as he got older, he, he became an extension director and uh, that led him into uh, doing that uh, in Lee County, Georgia. And while he was here, really back in, I guess, 1972, before he, uh, I guess, before he uh, bought anything else, he bought his first pecan orchard uh, in uh, right in his, in his hometown of uh, Barwick, Georgia. So it was a small place in uh, Brooks County and a uh, very small orchard. And if you asked my dad, he would say at the time, uh, it was actually, it went for a lot, an acre back then. And um, he, he, his dad even thought he was crazy for getting it, but he just, he loved pecans. And so as he got older, uh, he had opportunities to buy a few more uh, groves here and there and just made the step out there and just did it. And, it was never a livelihood for him per se, but it was always something for him that he loved doing. And so naturally, uh, as I do with my kids, um, they're a part of the store and the farm now. My, I was naturally a part of the farm, uh, the pecan farm. So we would get out there and pick up limbs and we'd take care of irrigation and all kind of things. And so for me, I grew to really uh, hate pecan farming uh, as just a young kid because I just all I saw it was just work to do and I wanted to do something else so for me when I began um, I guess to really make some try to understand what my next steps were um, really felt a leading to um, go into ministry Um, and I did that's what I did for really about 12 years of my life I was in full-time ministry moved away from home, got married, uh, moved away from home and, um, was gone. And I, but as, as you know, as the Lord would have it in in my own life, uh, I wound up back here, um, helping out with a, uh, a young church. And the short of that was I I ended up, uh, just going through a rough spot in my own life. But after that, I wound up, um, uh, when I, I stepped out of the, the ministry, at least from a vocational standpoint, I started uh, working with my dad full time. And I think because I had grown older and maybe a little bit wiser, like I started really enjoying what I was doing. And around that time, uh, my wife and I had started uh, processing the uh, sort of some next steps for us and just even some some potential side business. And while we were talking, I was also talking with my dad at the time, because when we sold, like when he sold pecans every year, he would harvest them and then sell them uh, uh, to buyers who would then take them and either sell them domestically or they would send them overseas. 
And so he was doing it and had been doing that. And he would also sell them locally to people just out his back door in shell pecans. And so, um, and they may have been pecans. I'm not sure, but, but they were, uh, but it was in shell, you know, in shell pecans for us. And they really did uh, well because people knew that my dad grew quality pecans because for him, it was a hobby and he loved doing it. Uh, he really made sure that, that the crop he grew every year was really uh, done with excellence. And so as he started, uh, started doing that, I began to have the conversation with him. This was, I think back in 2010, 2009, maybe we, uh, I began, I was riding in the back seat of a truck. My brother was up front and it was, it was the three of us. It was my dad, my brother and me. And I just started talking about dad, we need to try to sell your pecans online. And I, I felt like if I could get them shelled, we could sell just the raw pecans and they would do really well. And I talked about that for two years with him. And it was after talking about it that uh, I think with so many things going on, I just made the decision. I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking about it and just step in there and start doing this. And uh, so we, that's how we started goods and pecans from the business side of selling them domestically. Uh, more intentionally. Uh, and so we started out doing in-shell uh, or shell pecans, and we we had just a small network of people, but it began to grow. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. And so we were just given a little space okay. to talk and kind of getting an understanding. So it sounds like you for sure have one brother. So are there other siblings in your family? Yes. And- yes, I have younger sister uh, and an older brother. We're all Five years apart. I'm in the middle. So I'm the middle child of the family. Wow, that's a big span. And so then um, you mentioned your brother being there when the conversation happened. Is he part of it as well, or it's basically you and your father? It's just me and my father. My brother is a veterinarian uh, in South Carolina. He uh, travels down here two or three times in the year and, and helps on the farm. He loves doing it. It's just uh, and it's always fun for him to come down here and do it. But just with his place in life right now, it's nothing that he can really step into. And then my sister lives in the same hometown that we're in, right? But uh, is not able to. She's she does not you know do much with it. Okay. You know, it's mainly my dad. And so, so you keep mentioning this joy around doing it. So maybe you can tell the audience who doesn't really know different you know, ways of farming, like what's, what about pecan farming is enjoyable and what's, how is it different? And when you say your dad brings such a quality to it, maybe what are some of those differences? Yeah. Uh, as with any, as with any farmer, I think to do, do well, you've got to understand, you know, what's your farming. And that's where my dad, because he'd been in extension uh, work. And, and for those that don't know, extension work is, uh, is really, um, it's still around in a lot of rural areas, but even in some of the larger cities. But there, there are people that are established, set up to help farmers and even uh, uh, other people in the community that want to know how to take care of crops. And so Dad, through his job, just already knew a lot about how things grow and how to care for them. And he loved, he did excellent job as an extension director here um, in, in our hometown and was, I mean, very much revered by a lot of the farmers in the area because he helped them care for their crops. Well, that same mentality spilled over 
spilled over into um, into the farm uh, that he had. And so everything, you know, when you talk about uh, what all goes on, I mean, we do everything from um, having to make sure trees are pruned because they need sunlight. Uh, like any plants are going to need sunlight, water, um, and, and the right nutrients. Those are key things for it. And so it's understanding how well trees grow based on the sunlight. So you have to do pruning. Uh, you have to make sure uh, from a water standpoint that pecans get plenty of water. And so for us, we irrigate uh, our pecans. We have, uh, you know, a large well. And thankfully, we're in an area where there's a great uh, water reservoir underground. And so we're able to utilize that as we need. But pecans are very water hungry. And so that's that's an element where we've kind of grown in and learning how to how to conserve water as much as we can, but also provide the trees with what they need. And so we've, you know, we've grown and even how we do that. And then, uh, then also just providing the, the trees with the right kind of nutrients and all that. And so those are fertilizers and things like that, that are going to help them grow. So those are the things that uh, dad just knew how to do well and passed it along to me. And so when I started working closely with him, uh, I wasn't like I was when I was just a young kid, I was paying attention to what he was doing and how he was caring for these trees. And so every year, like we, we would always see high, high grade, high quality pecans being developed. And you mentioned um, that before when he was doing it and he would sell them internationally. Well, one, do you guys still export um, or are you purely domestic now? Um, we are both. Uh, we're both. Um, we, we uh, still have a lot that we will export, but, but as our business has grown, meaning the uh, the store that I, I kind of I'm probably being I'm more involved with our store now than what I was back when my dad and I first started working together closely. Mm-hmm. So that store, we're doing a lot more domestic um, right. shipping and stuff. So it's as it, the export's still strong, but it's not as strong uh, because we're growing domestically, which is ultimately what I've hoped that we could do anyway. Right. So does that mean that you make more money selling domestically than bulk exporting? I'm just out of curiosity because the shift there, I mean, I assume it's more profitable. Yeah, the way that we work and our farms are small. So we have uh, about 225 acres of pecan trees and uh, a lot of we don't handle our own exporting. So when we sell our pecans, we have buyers who handle large volumes and then they will buy from us based on our quality. They'll buy from us and then they export it overseas. So the challenge that as a small grower that we would have is there's a lot that goes into the relationships of people like China has been a huge exporter. You know, we've exported a lot to them and we have to, you've got to have a close relationship because you're sending something, you know, overseas and don't know, when or if you're going to get the money for it. And so we, rather than us trying to learn that whole system right now, we, we, we have a buyer that buys our product and they get, you know, a small cut of it, but we're essentially letting them handle it for us. So, well, that's interesting. So you guys don't get money on the front side. It's not like someone purchases X pounds, tons, however you guys sell that. And yeah. they don't pay when you when it ships, or you have to wait for them to yeah, receive it. But I think it would have to be one of these when it gets there that it's. I'm not a hundred percent sure 
how the whole process works, but when it gets there, um, that's when you'll get payment. Like it's not like when it leaves a barge you right. know, out of Savannah or wherever. I guess that makes like sense, it. right? Because you're probably still insuring the product until it gets all the way to them. Because if you're handling right. the transportation, right. got that makes sense. That's exactly right. Yeah, but you, that's where the relationship comes in play because once it gets over there, you know, I mean, we I've heard stories of of pecan farmers that you know they've lost a lot because you know, the relationship wasn't that good. So that's where it's key. And so we rely on people that have those good relationships that that they will pay us up front, but that's not always going to be the case. They're going to get that, you know, but but they know that it's coming because of the relationship that they've got with with the buyer. So is it fair to say that your dad was kind of doing this more as a hobby and that when you started, when you guys started working together, that you took it more of a business approach, making it more of a, intended revenue source and more, uh, you know, your actual profession. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I think that's where as, as we've done this together, I've, I've grown in learning that that's, that's probably a big difference that dad and I have, and even how we look at things. Um, and, and that's, that's just how it is. Like, and it's, I've had to learn to, I greatly respect my dad and love what he's doing and he will do, I mean, he'll be involved in that um, until he can no longer do it because he just, he loves being up there. He cares for those trees. We have young trees that we are um, really because of the hurricane Michael that we just recently had back in October of uh, 28. We lost a lot of trees through that. And so we're having replant and we'll have to graft them, which is a process that you you take a variety of pecan that you really like and you put it on a tree, a young tree, mm-hmm. and that that tree basically becomes that new variety. Um, it's a neat process. Really, that's I didn't it, know that was possible. Yeah, that's- it is. Um, and then a lot of lot of trees on vines are like that. But that, but you grab yeah, you take that good variety and you put it on. And so, but my dad is like he is one of the best nursery you know uh, carers for these young trees and he will just he goes in and he takes good care of them making sure they're getting sunlight and you know they're getting uh getting the right kind of water to them and all that and so he like that may for me is not as big of a deal because i'm just going to let them grow i am going to take care of them but yeah that's a big difference between how we view the farm and i mean dad has been such an encouragement to me coming in because this is where I think for y'all to understand the difference between the farm and the store. Um, one of the reasons I started the store was not just to sell the pecans, but as I started getting into it and learning the market and even the instability in uh, crops and, and as far as how markets go domestically and um, internationally. Uh, and this past year, you know, has been a great case in point. I've seen the value of, making sure as a farmer um, and a businessman that I've got people in my area, especially in the, where I live that are going to buy my products and not just relying on an export market per se that can take care of it because pecans about, about mm, six or seven years ago. I mean, the export market just exploded. Right. And so that's been a, you know, it's been a, a, a great thing for us. But again, we've seen, you know, in the last 
couple of years even, we've seen some instability in that. And it's going to be that way. I think uh, just the pecan industry in general is changing. It's undergoing a lot of change. And so um, I'm hopeful that through our business that we can begin, we can begin to, uh, you know, see more and more of our products bought domestically and then, uh, and then be able to, uh, you know, grow from there. Right. Um, and so with that being said, like when you guys have your year, I mean, how much, like what percentage of your crops are already pre-sold and how much of it do you literally get to the end of the year and you're like, okay, we got to figure out what to do with the rest of this? I mean, really at, up to now we have had everything sold. I mean, oh, that's it sells typically by January, uh, maybe February, but I mean, we've, we have not had to put things into uh, what we call cold storage. It's just, it, and it prolongs the, how long you can, right. you know, the, the well, longevity. That's so interesting because I mean, so many farmers that we've talked to already, I mean, really a lot of them, one, they, one transition their crop. So obviously that's not your scenario because how many years does a, a pecan tree have to grow before it actually is producing? Is it's it, about 10 years before it'll come into economic production. Wow. You know, so that's crazy. I mean, to think that, you know, of the hurricane that you guys experienced and having to plant all these trees. I mean, that really probably was a big setback. Although that really probably also fluctuates the price heavily on on pecans because as so many of them were damaged, uh, not just yes. on your farm, it just seems like that probably really affected the per pound price. Yeah, it's funny because and a lot of it's after the hurricane I noticed a a surge from our online sales that was not it was not like I hadn't seen it in years past because a lot of people thought we're not going to have enough crop, you know, enough enough pecans, I need to go ahead and buy mine now while I've got them. And we really there this was an on year for pecans like Throughout much of the U.S., the pecans are grown. I mean, throughout the um, southern, you know, southern part of the U.S., it's just an ideal place for them to to grow. And so, every state that kind of runs along the southern border and stuff has some level of pecan tree. And so, um, so for us, it it uh, it it really, even though it was a this, this is the area we're in, is what people would call the heart of pecan country the price wasn't that affected, even though it, it hit a main part of it. Um, there was enough supply, even in other parts of Georgia that weren't damaged. It was just that Southeastern quadrant of Georgia that was majorly affected. Um, but other parts were still strong. And so the price really didn't go up too much because even though the demand was there, it didn't, you know, we had enough supply to take care of the demand. Uh, for people. So I cannot, I don't know what this year may hold because this could be an off year for pecans. And so uh, we're already concerned on our end from, from the damage due by hurricane Michael and the timing of, of the year that it happened, that it affected this year's growth. Like, uh, and so you, you'd have to understand some of the science behind the right. pre-growth, but, but the damage done to the trees, even the ones that are left standing, were um, still could be affecting the pre-growth and potential stuff. 
Right. That makes sense. And I mean, of of your production, I mean, it sounds like with your store kind of transitioning to that topic a little bit, you guys have yeah. secondary products that you make, you, you know, end products that you make that are available in your stores. And so do you make sure, because I would imagine there's maybe some better margins on those products. Do you save out like, oh, we're going to need X number of pounds this year so we can do our own production? Is that how you do you yeah. have a formula? You kind of know that your store is going to need a certain amount. Yeah, we um, we have we have grown into that, and I would say, you know, at this point where we probably we started out maybe because it, it from the store side, I had to guess like how much we're going to need from from the farm this year, right. and so we started out with like five percent that we'd get from the farm, and we'd have them shelled, and we've grown. I mean, really, I. My best guesstimate is going to be around fifteen percent, you know, of the of the farm crop that we we buy because that's essentially how I look at it. Is the store buys them from the farm, right? Sells them and then sends them off. Are they two separate companies? Is that how you've set it set up? That, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That makes so sense. That, and that, yeah, I mean, that's how uh, because again, my dad has been a huge supporter of us doing it, right? But just to, to I think from even a book standpoint, uh, they've, they've been kept separate. And uh, so that, that's been. Yeah. It yeah, just makes it. sense. You want to diversify your risk. You want to just for a variety of reasons, it makes sense that in terms of how you can balance the two companies and the expenses and whatnot. So that makes sense. So what type of products do you have? And I know you guys have a store. We talked a little bit before we got online here. So I, I understand yeah. that your store is actually in town, whereas your farm is out of town. And, um, but what type of products and are those products available also online and maybe you could tell people a little bit, bit about where your store is and some of your product lines and give yourself a little plug there. <laughs> <laughs> happily, happily. Okay. Uh, yeah, we are, our store is located in our hometown of Leesburg, Georgia, and that's where we, we make and manufacture all of our value added products um, from that are pecans. And so uh, Regarding the specific products, we uh, specialize in gourmet-flavored pecans. And so we have everything from sweet ones that would be uh, like a cinnamon sugar, um, uh, what we call Mimi sugar, which is named after my mom, uh, which is my kid's Mimi. Uh, that is like a salty sweet. We do a, um, I, I love playing around with unique flavors. So we, one of our newest ones is called Sweet Orange. So it's a blend of like an orange oil. Uh, and uh, and just the pecan and some some raw sugar, so okay. it's a really really good uh, good flavor. A lot of people don't don't put those two together, but then we will do sweet ones. We have some um, chocolate covered ones, and then also uh, and do, do you guys do ones. your own chocolate because chocolate's a little you know temperamental to work with in terms it of is. keeping it we right so it doesn't turn white. <laughs> yeah, yep. we don't do our own chocolate. I've got a place locally that does our chocolates for us um but because of the reason you're talking about i don't i have not worked with chocolate yet Uh, i would love to as we grow to get to that place and those are some things even this year we're gonna experiment with like trying chocolate bark uh, and some you know something unique to us that we can kind of just begin to play around with and see how well it'll do but uh, yeah it's one of those things people associate uh, again pecans 
especially during the holiday season. Right. They want the chocolate covered pecans. And so we want to be able to offer those, but no, I can't, I just don't have the means by which to do it all. So yeah, that's where we, we recognize our limitations. And so, but we've, we've had somebody that can, can make those for us. Right. I'm a huge fan of pecans. And every year at Christmas, I go to Costco and I buy one of those big bags. Well, for me, it's a big bag, I'm sure, compared to what you're used to seeing. It's not a big bag. But anyway, and I just, you know, it's all sorts of, I add lots of butter and sugar and brown sugar and honey and salt. And it's just like they get totally caramelized. They're delicious. And then, you know, they're a little bit addicting, though. I mean, you can consume, you know, a huge quantity and nothing flat. She said, a big bag until she's eaten the whole thing and then it's like oh that was a small bag i'm like oh yeah yeah everyone loves them though i mean they are delicious so i mean I, how great to be able to walk into a store i'm sure i would have a heyday going in there with all your different flavors and whatnot and spur- spike my imagination oh, <laughs> well and you bring out a good point talking about uh, even getting them from costco like one of the the challenges we have in the pecan industry is and i, I would even say pecans that are specific to Georgia uh, because we, you know, I told you about varieties uh, earlier and how, um, you know, I I wrote a blog one time on how pecans are a lot like my kids. And uh, (laughs) what I meant by that was how my, every one of my kids, I have four kids. They are uh, all different um, and uh, they're all Goodsons. But they're all just very different and uh, very different personalities and characteristics. And pecans are like that. And so you have um, the trees are like that, but also the pecans. And and a lot of people don't understand that. They think in the same way I think an almond's an almond or pistachio is a pistachio. Well, truly with pecans, like not all pecans are created equal. And so some are going to have different, um, a little bit of a different flavor. Uh, There's a pecan variety called an Elliot. That is small and round, but is like it's just got a little bit of sweetness to it. And part of that is due to the higher oil content. Um, there's a pecan variety called a Desirable, which is a good flavor um, and is actually one of the, the um, most desired uh, in an export market because it's a larger pecan, right. but it's a little bit drier, um, not as much oil. And so, like, I've spent a lot of time educating people on like the quality of pecans because oftentimes in the stores you don't get the quality of pecans that you could get uh, like from directly from a grower, uh, like, like even from us. Uh, and so I've, I've been encouraged because we have a lot of people that'll come to us and say, yeah, I buy them from the grocery store all the time and they're just not that great. But then when they try ours, they're like, wow, this is what a pecan's supposed to taste like. Right. So we do work really hard to try to get, educate people so that they want to keep coming back to, to get our products. Right. I think one of the things I love about them is, um, I, I'm a a big fan of consistency. Um, and you'll a little bit laugh at this, but that's why I love Rice Krispie treats. (laughs) There's a consistency (laughs) to it that I love, but it's the same with pecans. I mean, it's a different consistency, but it's like you, you can get that crispy outer, but it's a little bit gummy on the inside, like a little bit. And that must be the oil concentrate in there, but it's delicious. I mean, and their flavor is just, I don't know. I think they're amazing and I think they're great on anything. Obviously I eat them plain, but I also love doing that and chopping them up and throwing them on a salad or they're just delicious. I mean, there's a million ways to eat them. And so I can oh, see yeah. how you guys would fall in love with it. So can your products also be found online? They can be. Our, our uh, website is Goodson 
uh, G-O-O-D-S-O-N, and then pecans, P-E-C-A-N-S, so goodsandpecans.com. And we are, that's one of the areas, I think, from a business standpoint, we're wanting to grow uh, the most in over this next year. And uh, so we've, you know, we're, we've been growing into seeing, uh, having involvement in other, um, uh, you know, wholesale vendors and stuff throughout the Southeast region. And that's been great. But, but one of the areas in doing that I've neglected to really push on is our website. And so, yeah, we definitely um, are hoping to see that grow. So, David, tell us um, a little bit about, you mentioned about 2012, you launched the internet store and it's, it's now 2019. So tell us some of the hiccups you've had, the, the lessons you've learned and, and how the journey's gone there. And then the next part of the question, I'll ask it again, but I wanted to know how you decided to come up with all those different flavors of pecans. But I want to talk about the internet store first. Yeah. That'll be good. And then let me mention this too. I, I know I focused on the gourmet flavors. Uh, one of the things too in, in all this picture is that we, uh, we developed uh, just about three years ago were, was pecan butter. So think peanut butter or almond butter. Yum. But just make it with pecans. <laughs> and so, um, you know, uh, one of the things as we started out, I had, I had no business background, um, you know, and I just, I just started, I sort of jumped into it and just did it. I'm like, I, I can figure out how to build a website and try to sell it. And so I did. Uh, and, and to me, it was as simple as just putting your product out there, pressing, you know, open that store and the people will come. <laughs> right. And so I learned quickly, I learned quickly that like, they're not coming, you know? So <laughs> what we began to do was, Number one, uh, there is a part of me that I love creating. And so, you know, Deborah, you talked about, you know, getting all the stuff and, you know, doing stuff with pecans. And that's, uh, that's what I love. I love to get in our kitchen and just create different recipes and things with them. Right. And so one of the, uh, one of the things that we started doing, um, you know, in addition to the raw pecans is we started out with doing like a cinnamon sugar and um, like this Mimi sugar that I was talking about. And so we were doing those and we started going to shows, uh, festivals in, in our area. And so we travel maybe as far as, you know, an hour, you know, uh, a radius around us. And it was at those shows that we began to build relationships with people and began to introduce them to our products and our pecans. And then from those shows, we would begin to see people come back to, our website and would buy from us that. And then I also had uh, networks of people that I knew had a friend out in Washington state that uh, she was from South Georgia and was like, I'd love to promote your product. She's like, I tell people how great, you know, (laughs) pecans are. And so, uh, so, so she was a huge bridge for us to start seeing our internet side grow and the website grow. But it, but for us on a regional level, like it was getting out and doing, um, doing those uh, festivals and shows. But you know, I'd say one of the things that I did, like I just, I didn't ask enough questions. I just kind of jumped into it. And I, I think for me, I, as I've gotten into this, I've seen the value of being able to process some things, ask the right kind of questions of people before just jumping into it. And so. 
segueing that into to talking about one of the things that if I go back, it's been almost four years ago. Uh, I think it was in 2015. Uh, we heard about uh, my wife and I, my wife's name is Melody. And Melody and I heard about a, uh, a workshop through the University of Georgia, and it was on starting a new food business. <laughs> and I think a friend had mentioned it to me, and I said, well, this would be great. You know, I'm already in this business. Um, and I was, okay, you talked about, I don't know if you mentioned doing some things wrong. One of the things I did wrong and even kind of jumping into this is I didn't even ask about licensing and <laughs> what kind of things I needed. Right. And I, I know uh, from people I've talked to, I'm not like the only one, but <laughs> I was starting as, as our business grew and we were seasonal. So we were like at during the holiday season uh, is when we would uh, our home would just, because everything at this point was out of our home. Right. And so we just began to see it was chaos. And by 2000, the, by 2014, that Christmas, my wife was like, you have got to decide something about this business It's either stopping or we are moving into another location. And so, um, because she did, we knew we couldn't keep doing it. It was just chaotic for the whole family. And so 2015 is when I went to that workshop. And that was a that was a turning point for me, I think, in realizing uh, how quickly I had jumped into this business and how much I needed to slow down and think about, like, the weight of what I'm doing. Like, because I really just jumped in with no clear goals, no clear. I just was like, <laughs> I'm going to sell some Pekings. And right. so... We jumped into it. Although I have to say there's probably some blessings in that for sure because um, sometimes if you know the whole script of everything you're going to have to do, it can seem overwhelming and daunting at times. So sometimes ignorance is bliss and getting to like just do it purely out of passion. And then you're like, okay, I'll figure out the rest in a bit, you know. So That's I think it. that, you know, it, worked, it maybe worked itself out for, for the better. You're, no, you're exactly right, Deborah. I mean, and that, and that is, that's, I mean, I am grateful. Uh, you know, I don't know that I would change a ton of things because it was that naivety uh, or naivete that I, I just was willing to kind of jump out there and start it. But it was like as it started getting bigger and and it was getting to be unmanageable to some levels, I was like, I, I knew I couldn't keep up the pace and we had to make a decision. And so that was a, where the food workshop, it was not just a bunch of lectures, but like they really did a great job with it. And it was very, uh, one of the very first things they did is uh, one of the professors that, that led it, uh, I think it was Dr. Mohan, he talked about um, really getting to the heart of why you do what you do. Like, and if you could do one thing and do it really well, like, what would it be? And um, it that stuck with me. And, and I remember that night, my, my wife and I were in our hotel room, and I really began to process like what what would it look like for us to do one thing and do it really well like uh and so it was in that process that i i started thinking about pecan butter because i'm like i see all these growing nut butters in the grocery store but i haven't seen a lot of pecan butter so that's where we started um i started kind of the idea of well, what would it look like for us to make pecan butter and at that time i thought you know what it'd be great to get it in every grocery store in the whole wide world, you know, um, <laughs> right. but again, I wasn't counting the cost of what all that. Yeah, for sure. Like. I had and a short I mean. little venture into, um, 
into the concept of possibly making a peanut butter from scratch. And I had no idea, you know, you like, cause I buy natural peanut butter. And so I look at the ingredients and it's peanuts and salt. So I'm like, okay, how hard could this be? Well, it's incredibly complex. I mean, especially if you don't want it to separate and are you going to roast it and what color do you want it to be? And I mean, I was like, there were so many components to it that I just kind of couldn't believe it. And so I'm imagining it's similar doing a pecan butter. It is because in the same way I told you, not all pecans are created equal. Uh, I mean, every, like just different varieties do, like they make a different nut butter. And so for me, um, I knew what some of the good varieties were. Uh, And so like Elliot's were a great variety. I'm like, I know those would make a great nut butter. But what I found a struggle with is sometimes like we didn't add any oils but it was almost like there was too much oil in there. And so it was more like a, I'd make a nut butter soup sometimes. (laughs) Uh, And so I was trying to constantly figure out how to uh, get the right kind of like what, what was the right blend for me that would work. So we started out, I mean, literally making these butters and, and I'll say this about making nut butter. That was a decision factor for me because as I had was beginning to um, make myself aware of state laws and, and even federal laws, right? Like I couldn't make nut butter out of the home. You know, already I knew I needed to get my licensing right. And so we deciding to step out there and make nut butters or like pecan butter was the decision for me to really to move out of my home and into a commercial facility. And, and that's what we wound up doing right. in, um, in 2015. But yet it's we started out using a blender. Um, and I mean, that is literally the old fashioned way of doing it. And right. then we go to shows and introduce it to people. But we finally got to the point where it was like I was able to see it was going to be something very viable for us to do. And um, we, you know, we jumped in and got better, much better equipment. So just curious, I mean, year after year, I mean, obviously the the weather conditions affect your product. And so how do you keep consistency from year to year in your product line? Because it just seems like what if it has a higher oil content or a higher water content or do you have yeah. to do much or is it's close enough? No, it's, it's close enough um, because our, although, I mean, yeah, every year is going to be, every year will be different. There's no one year that will be the same. That's something my dad told me from the start and I have found it to be true. So yeah, you're never going to have the exact parameters from one year to the next. And so, but I think if you know your, if you you know how to, um, which is something we've learned just how to uh, maneuver around challenges that come, uh, you still are going to get an outcome like the quality of the nut is going to be there. And so the oil content, if that's, if it is that particular variety, you're, you're going to typically get that right oil content. And, and uh, you know, the downside would be, I think, if we weren't able to get as much water or something. But, I, you know, even in the years that I've been doing this, we haven't seen that be an issue. So, right. you know, up to this point, that's that's not really been an issue. And so do you now have your peanut butters in grocery stores? Or not your peanut butter, I'm sorry, your pecan butter. Is it now in grocery stores or is it only available through your store and online? Um, it is uh, not in um, large chain grocery stores. We have it in a few uh, independent, kind of independently operated grocery stores, um, mainly within Georgia. 
and and then in we've got it in um, specialty stores, so uh, more of your gourmet food type stores that we've got it in. Right. And my plans right now is I don't know that I want to uh, jump out there and just get it into large grocery store chains right away. Um, part of my challenge, I think, in, in our growth has been still being able to help take care of the farm and work with the dad in that and then also operate the store um, because uh, literally the store went from our home to being a, a commercial facility and we were doing everything there. I had to kind of bring in a, a slowly build a team of employees and stuff that I'd never had before. Right. And so I did not want to jump in. I'm still at the place where I don't want to jump in and get, you know, something signed up with, uh, you know, grocery stores, even around our area yet, because I want to, I want to make sure that um, I've got the supply to be able to, you know, provide to those stores and, and, and get it in the right, you know, time frame that they're needing it. And at the same time, I'm able to, because I know for a lot of the grocery store chains, sometimes if you get their product in there, there's an expectation that, hey, you're going to sample that product. And I, I, I don't have the margin in my life right now. And right. so my goal over time, I think, and that's one of the reasons I want to grow in our web, uh, you know, our, our website would be to see more people coming and maybe beginning to have a presence on Amazon or things like that. But those are the questions I've, you know, I'm still formulating and stuff. And so, you know, we're uh, over the last three years that we've been doing pecan butter, we've also been doing the gourmet flavors and we've been learning with both of them still, but, but we're, we've pretty much at a place where we're confident with them. Um, but, you know, we've seen some great successes. I think even like our honey cinnamon, we have four main flavors of pecan butter. Um, we do like a creamy and a crunchy that's just toasted pecans with a touch of sea salt. Mm -hmm. And then we do a creamy with honey where we have like a, um, with all of our pecans being Georgia grown, we also like get our honey from a beekeeper friend of mine in Georgia. And so we want to try to keep it, you know, that way as much as possible. Right. And then we have a honey cinnamon pecan butter, um, which our honey cinnamon pecan butter. Uh, I'm going to have to go to your website. You do know, like you're sitting here saying all these different things and every single one, I want to try them. <laughs> I'm just like, it all sounds amazing. I need to get your information, Deborah. I'll send you a little care. <laughs> okay. For your birthday. Oh, there you go. That'd be fun. And when you air, it'd be perfect. <laughs> we can That's celebrate right. together. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, the honey cinnamon pecan butter like was a big award winner for us uh, last year, um, both at the Flavor of Georgia, and we also won a Good Food Award with it, which is a, a an award uh, contest that you. I mean, they are a they're pretty brutal in their judging um, based on the quality of your food and stuff. And so, right. when we won that as well as the Flavor of Georgia, we were just ecstatic. Yeah, I bet. The, the, it's, you got to celebrate those milestones. Are you guys going to be at the Flavor of Georgia this year again? No, we won't. We, uh, so we won the grand prize uh, this year. or I mean, sorry, in 2018, we won the grand prize. Right. And so we decided not to submit anything this year. I guess just to, I don't know, just to, I don't know. We just wanted to kind of wait. Right. And, yeah, no, makes uh, sense. We had won. We really had won the pre. So in 2017, our sriracha, our toasted sriracha pecans <laughs> won 
in that category. Um, and then the honey cinnamon did. And so I was like, I was, I wanted somebody, you know, else to just enjoy it. And it was just, it's been good for us to kind of take a year uh, off. Cause there's a lot that even goes into that and, and preparing for that. So, but yeah, um, Lord willing, you know, we, we will hopefully be able to, to enter it next year, but I, flavor of Georgia has been one of those things for us has been fantastic. Uh, I think it's just great people, at least in the state recognize that as a, um, you know, uh, a great award. Right. And when you go to shows and you say, Hey, try my award-winning pecan butter, um, or my award-winning pecans, like right. people, people want to try that. And so <laughs> it's a sure. great well, you were mentioning going around and doing shows and whatnot, and I mean, I just feel like in food, sampling is huge, right? Like whether you're yes. trying to get into a grocery store and you sample the people who work there so that they can love your product and help push it as well, or whether it's, you know, at a you know, farmer's market or whatnot, when people get to sample your product, that definitely helps. But it's also an obstacle when you're trying to sell on, online, and so... It's kind of how do you articulate or how do you get the message across of these beautiful products, these amazing products to people? You know, so how are you guys doing that? How are you now pushing your online store and getting people to, you know, to try it if they haven't tried you somewhere else? Yeah, um, and that's a great question. Uh, we are in the process of hopefully in the next uh, three months uh, or kind of setting to have our website redesigned by June the 1st. Um, you know, we've liked our website, but uh, I had it developed um, locally. And um, website design is one of those things where uh, it's it can be, you know, sometimes like uh, like a lawyer, where it's kind of like, if, if I need something done, it, you know, they're going to charge me for 15 <laughs> minutes worth of work or an hour worth of work, and it didn't take them that long. But it, what I found is the more I needed to change my website, it was costing me a lot. And I was like, ah. And so I've put it off for a little while. But we're hoping, as I've, again, I've grown and kind of built a team, you know, one of one of the girls that's a part of our team is just uh, very good with, um, uh, you know, designing websites and stuff. And so uh, so one of the, one of the ways – that we are hoping to begin to uh, grow this is through redesign our website, making it a lot more user-friendly offering things like recipes and um, you know, uh, just useful ideas, even incorporating videos into it. That would be potentially YouTube videos that we would link into the website that we are not able to do now. Um, but we'd be able to link those YouTube videos into the website that are going to show the product being used and maybe, um, I mean, I've even had ideas like taking a, you know, taking a video camera. You can get people's permission, but l- let people watch them sampling product and getting some <laughs> of the reactions that right. they get from it. That's fine. But, it, but you know, it's doing those kind of things that will, um, that'll engage the customer even as they're on the website. And so, um, if they can at least see either how the product is used or the fact that, man, this is won an award. Like that's a good, like that's a good sign that it might be a good product. <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, uh, one of the other things that we are doing is offering free shipping and we're just have kind of stepped into that. Uh, for the longest time we just paid shipping cause that was the best way that I knew how to do it. But we are working on seeing, uh, how free shipping, uh, challenge or 
not challenges, but pushes a customer to purchase. And the same way I'm wired when I see things on Amazon, like I like Amazon because it's free shipping sometimes and I know I can get it in two to three days. And so, um, I don't have Amazon's volume to drive down our ship, our shipping prices, but I'm working through things that can, um, maybe, uh, it's going to cost us a little bit, uh, but we're going to make up for it in volume and being able to do it. And so, um, and so those are some things that I think from a customer standpoint can maybe push them over, um, over it because, you know, but I still see, like I, I watched when we get, I don't know that I'll stop going to shows for a while because, uh, every time I go to a show, like, and I'm consistently going to that show, like I've noticed Tallahassee, Florida, the great example, like we, uh, We've been in that area for uh, seven or eight years right. doing a show. That was one of the very first shows we did. And we have seen um, the the business out of Tallahassee really grow from just loyal customers that keep buying from us. Right. You and hope so, to see them at the show. You know, I know that I used to go to a farmer's yep. market all the time when I lived in the mountains. And there were different yep. products that I would go specifically. Like I knew it was kind of my grocery list that I needed to go so I could pick up a certain pasta and a certain like olive tapenade or whatever. I had like my certain things. I knew where I was going yeah. and exactly what I wanted to find. Yep. That's it. But that that's where... Um, I think for us going to some of those shows, you know, where we have been limited, like, uh, you know, we are about three hours South of Atlanta in in a rural part of Georgia. So for us, even you mentioned farmer's markets, I would love uh, to be more involved in some of the farmer's markets in the Atlanta area. And uh, because I know that there are a lot of people that come and do that. And that may again, uh, push people to, to get from us online. But uh, that's been one of the challenges I found is how to balance, you know, uh, the number of shows I do in a year with making sure I'm not just doing a bunch of shows and killing myself, but the shows I do are quality. Right. And so I find that still something that I'm having to process and really think through. Um, and, and I, again, I've, we've done several shows and bombed on them uh, from a, a cost to sales perspective. And, uh, you know, I just don't go back to them, but when we find them and they're, they're great show, it was like, we, we're just faithful to go back to them as much as we can. Right. I wanted to just, you mentioned this before we got on the, on, uh, the call together. You mentioned that you were thinking about opening a store also at your actual farm. And so I wanted it. So yeah. that sounds like a, you know, future type project. And I, I really want to ask you about it because I find it this whole, um, it's kind of, some people travel wanting to see it. I know that Lane Orchards does something like this, where people yep. can literally pull off the side of the road, but one, they have a store there, which makes it easy, but they also have viewing, so they people can watch them packaging the peaches and going through the whole process. And I think there that it's an interest. People really want to know where their food's coming from today. And so I think it's really cool that you guys are wanting to do this and add you know an element of tourism to the whole thing. So what's kind of your vision, and do you have a timeline for that yet, or is this just like a longer term vision. Yeah, it's it's a vision that I hope we could potentially see to come fruition. Come to uh, yeah, see uh, fru- fruition. <laughs> I know yeah. what you mean. Come to fruition. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it would come to fruition within the next three three or four years. Uh, we've you know we've identified uh, a piece of property really 
that would be great for for it. And so that's something that uh, we're actually considering right now as far as some of those next steps, uh, what it would take to purchase it. And then it, from there, it would just be a matter of uh, deciding, you know, what we need to build and and, and then kind of go from there. But that is the, the hope is that we could have a storefront that would also be our manufacturing facility. The store that we're in right now, we moved into it. So when we first started our venture into the commercial facility, it was um, a small, very small spot, about, you know, maybe 650 square feet. And we made it work for about not even quite a year. Um, And then we had an opportunity to kind of move our lease down to another building um, in the same strip mall. But it, you know, now it's got about over 1,300 square feet to it. Still, though, we find it being just very tight for us uh, to, to maneuver around. When you've got the number of products that we have and we make a lot of those products, um, you know, storage becomes an issue, uh, you know, places for uh, customers then to be able to come in. So we have a tiny customer area. So we we want to grow into something that's going to be give us room to continue to grow. And so that's my hope is that we can build, you know, our facility would just move up to that area and also be a place for agritourism right. um, for people to uh, to stop by. And I think even though we're in a uh, more of a rural area, uh, even our farm is like it's it would be similar to lanes in that. Like, I think you can direct people to come down the road a little bit right. and it'd be worth the drive for them, you know, so. But that is definitely something we're excited about and hope to uh, in less than five years to see something like that happen. Right. I mean, I think agritourism is a super cool concept. I mean, we were in Thailand over Christmas and we went to a cashew farm and I was fascinated Mm -hmm. to see, like, I never knew that a cashew grew inside of something that looks kind of similar to a bell pepper, you know, and they literally like watching them crack them open one at a time. I was blown away. I was like, who knew, you know? And so it's just kind of fun to get to go someplace and actually see how stuff is produce. I mean, we also went to a rubber plant and that was super cool. You know, so I just think that it's kind of becoming a bigger thing. And I think your vision one, it sounds like it functionally works for you because you could have more room to work. You have a bigger production area. You know, if you want to expand your product line, you have room to do so, but it also fits that model of agritourism that I really think is growing. I actually was on a website somewhere for Georgia and I believe you can, they show all the agritourism stops in the state of Georgia. So if you are going on a road trip, you can kind of plot it out where all you want to go. And I'm like, that's so fun because so many people go on road trips and, you know, kind of have, you know, what is it on one of the movies? They're like going to go see the biggest ball of wax or biggest, you know, ball of string or whatever, you know, it's just kind of funny, but there's also part of it that it's interesting to learn new things. And, you know, it's a nice way to break up your trip and whatnot, or maybe to pick up a little present for whomever you're going to go visit or however that goes. But I think it's a, I love hearing about it and I'm excited for you guys on that front. Yeah, it is. We're, we're something that uh, it's something that we're very, very much there's, you mentioned the trails and those are, it's through, uh, Georgia grown. Um, and if, if there's any listeners in this that are in Georgia, that they're food crafters and they're, they're not aware of Georgia grown. 
um, I would highly recommend to become a part of George Grown. It's not, it's maybe a hundred dollars a year, uh, but it is a phenomenal organization to be a part of that are doing what you just talked about. They want, they want um, to br- help people brand products that are made in Georgia that uh, because they know people are looking for those types of products and they're, they're very interested to know how the products are made. Um, but also know the quality of products are made. And so Georgia Grown's huge for that. But one of the things that Georgia Grown um, has helped develop, um, or at least it's come out of that whole interest in Georgia Grown, but it's called the Georgia Grown uh, Trails. There's a Trail 41, Trail 37, but they, they're based on um, highway numbers, but it's, um, it's, it's uh, places to stop all along those highway numbers that are, uh, you know, are, or agritourism stops. And so, uh, you know, that's my hope is that I can figure out a way. And I've talked with some people about it already, that if we have a place like that, we can be incorporated into those stops because people do, they travel them to go to every one of those stops. It's just super smart. I mean, and I love how supportive the state of Georgia is really to all their farmers and whatnot. I mean, they have so many different things. You were mentioning the class for people who want to start a business. I mean, they really have lots and lots of uh, ways of helping people more than I've heard of than any other state. And so, you know, it's just up for people knowing that they exist, reaching out and getting involved in those. But I definitely, you know, that's cool. And thank you for mentioning that that's where you go to. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And so David, we had, I, I'm going to take a few steps back. I have just some curious questions. Uh, one is, as you mentioned how much oils and pecans as you were making the pecan butter, um, is there yep. any intentions to grow a pecan oil line and different flavors of pecan oil, or is it waste too much of the nut when you try to just extract the oil? No, um, I, I, I have no intentions at this point. Um, partly because I have uh, a couple of friends that do pecan oil already. And, uh, and so it's, it's not, it actually, one of my friends, uh, uh, it's Clay Oliver. Um, he has Oliver farm artisan, artisan oils, but like he actually has gotten to where, I mean, he makes the, he cold presses the oils, and so he, he gets the oils from the pecan, but then he also takes the meal, the flour that's left over, that's completely dry. And so he sells the flour. And then I think they've even, in some of their, their process, they, they have figured out even some of the, what would be potential waste, how to make that into um, uh, like a fertilizer, like some type of a fertilizer for, uh, for, for farmers and uh, gardeners and stuff. So, I have not gone down that road yet. I will say, you know, we're continuing though to think about how we can utilize our butter in um, various ways. And so, you know, whether it is, uh, uh, you know, incorporating it into, um, you know, other snack type foods and things like that, I'm thinking more not about making another sort of, big product like the oils but i'm really thinking about how can i diversify the butters and get them into um you know into people's homes like that does that make sense absolutely and you said that was clay oliver of oliver farms is that correct that's correct 
And um, I would love to have him on the show if you wouldn't mind mentioning him about uh, the show because I we haven't had anything like that on the show. And just purely at my own curiosity, I'd love to hear how oh they do that. Clay's a, a great friend, and I do not mind. Um, I don't mind at all mentioning it to him. And he's uh, he would. I mean, he would do a great job on the show. So he's he is. Uh, I mean, he has not just pecan oil, but he has five or six different oils. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Um, you mentioned employees in the new store and things like that. So how do you go about hiring employees and how do you manage them? And then lastly, how do you inspire them and motivate them every day? Mm. Well, uh, that has been a, a learning process <laughs> for me, for sure. For uh, everyone. <laughs> I know. I have... When we first started, um, I found my employees through word of mouth to start off with. Because, again, I wasn't hiring a full-time employee and ever scared me half to death to think about hiring a full-time employee because I could barely pay myself um, anything. (laughs) Um, And so I started the process, um, again, of just asking friends, like, do you know somebody that could work? And, um, And they would be like, you know, the friends that I, you know, um, that were references, uh, I mean, I talked with them and if I, you know, felt good like that, they, they would be a good fit because a lot of what we do is not rocket science. It's just work, um, that I, I began to do that, um, and bring them on. And I mean, by the grace of God, we've had, we have had some fantastic employees along the way. I really, I've been grateful for, I think, every single one of them. I mean, not that we haven't had employees that are challenging um, and hard to deal with, or, um, but sometimes I've found in this process that the, the, the issue's not necessarily been with the employee, but has been with me and my lack of maybe training and prepping them for what they've got to do, and for my lack of initially saying, hey, here's the expectations for you working here at the store and so like um you know motivating so like the hiring of employees i think uh, for me starting out has been almost just like a kind of a gut feeling you know i just uh, if i trusted them i'm like bring them on and you know because i was dealing with a lot of proprietary stuff too and i you know not that you know uh, I felt like they were going to run out and tell the whole world some of our secrets, but like I wanted to make sure I could trust them. And so, and we were, I was, you know, I was very grateful uh, for the, for the people that we've had, but you mentioned like, what do we do to keep motivating them? And, and I will say this past year in our, uh, you know, and as our business grew uh, this year, or I'm sorry, 2018 for us, uh, I brought on probably the most employees that I've had. And that was, I think, total, I think I had three, uh, let's see, no, there were two full-time employees and then there were three part-time employees, not counting like me and my wife. And so one of the things that I began to see is as I brought a new employee in, is like I started to have tension among my group. And so my mindset is always like, hey, let's get to work. You know, we got pecans to make and all this other. But all of a sudden, um, I am a very relational person. 
And so I enjoyed the chemistry that we had, but I started seeing like, as I started adding other employees in, like there was just, it was tense and it was, <laughs> um, I was like, what in the world am I doing? And, uh, I mean, was that so, people feeling threatened or feeling like their, you know, responsibilities were maybe take, being taken away yeah, or. I think, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, I think they were threatened that I liked, you know, or they, they, they had been there longer and they weren't like, they weren't um, like they weren't respected and, um, or that uh, maybe they weren't doing things quite, quite like I had asked them to do. Um, And so there was just, that was some of the tension and it was what I began to realize is uh, that it fell on me. Like, um, I mean, you talk about failures. I think that's an area I feel like I failed but I learned tremendously from it. And I'm grateful because, I mean, all of those employees hung around, but I, we had a meeting um, and it was a, it was a tense meeting. Um, it was a pivotal meeting for us. Um, but I was grateful that we were able to kind of press through it because I think it made us even better team from that. Right. Um, and, and what we were, what we were, what I realized is number one, um, I hadn't really given anybody any titles or anything like that. You know, I jokingly would call everybody a manager, you know, <laughs> right. um, but because I'm like, I didn't know, I was kind of like everybody did something different, but as we grew, um, I didn't grow with it in, in leadership. And so I was just expecting everybody to just do what I thought they ought to do. And so I had to begin to give titles and some level of job description so that they, and we're still growing in that. But one of the things that, that evolved out of all this was we started meeting regularly. Uh, And so when I say regularly, we met, we meet weekly um, as a team. And so we, we uh, come together and um, you know, for me and my store, like we, uh, we open up um, in prayer um, and I use that as a time to say, Hey, what's going on in your life? Like what, what needs are there? What challenges have you got going on? Um, and, uh, and so it gives me an opportunity to hear from them outside of just the work, right. you know, environment. And if there are ever any issues, sometimes they're able to get out there on the table. Right. But you know, I David, that's really there. interesting. I mean, there's so many people who they do not want you bringing your personal life into work. They're kind of like, yeah, that stops at the door and whatever. So, yeah. I mean, that just goes to show you as a manager, not just caring about them and their role, but also them as humans. And, you know, like, yeah. hey, sometimes people got stuff going on at home and that might affect their ability to get to work or whatnot. And so that's really interesting yeah. that you bring that into your weekly meetings. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and I, I'm with you and I've, we've had to have conversations with people about, um, hanging your, we, we call it, um, cause I, and I got this from one of the, one of the ladies that works with us, she calls it hanging your coat at the door when you come in. Um, because we've had employees that are dealing with difficult issues and they come in and the fact that they are struggling with, um, just other problems outside of, uh, of the store, like it affects our work environment right. and um, it affects the work, what they're producing, you know, we're able to produce. And it and sets so, kind of a tone for everyone else. If someone comes in and they're super heavy, that can kind of drag everyone else down too. There's a uh, lots of dimensions to all of those social inter- 
inner workings with different people when especially when they have really hard stuff going on in their lives that's right that's right and so i've you know we we want to um i want them to know like i i care about you i want you to work well here and uh, you know and sometimes it's this mental thought of i'm hanging up all my problems at the door and i'll pick them up when i leave today but i'm going to come here and i'm going to give it my absolute best i'm going to you know, honor um, the workplace and know that as as it as it grows and as it benefits, like um, we are going to benefit. You know, I'm going to be benefited by it. But I have found that as I can acknowledge the fact that number one, I care about all the employees, and that's why I don't I don't make it anything that we're going to be long and drawn out. But <laughs> right. I want to just ask, and I, it's helpful to hear what's going on in everybody's life, and then just taking a moment and again for me praying for the group. Um, and for what we've got going on. And then we, then we take, you know, 30 minutes or so. And I just, I talk, sometimes I will talk about like, um, what, what our vision is. Like I've, I've walked through some things as far as like even branding and what that looks like and what kind of story are we telling? Um, and we'll talk about things like that. Sometimes it's just, Hey, this is a new product line we're developing. Sometimes it's sampling, you know, Hey, here's some things that we've, we're recreating or, tweaking a little bit. Tell us what you think about this. Um, and sometimes it's, Hey, this is going to be a crazy week. This is all we've got going on. But those are the things I wasn't, I was communicating to individuals, but I wasn't to the team. Right. So they didn't feel like a team at all. And so now like it's helped me have a stopping point during the week to say, Hey, grateful for y'all. Like, you know, we need to really watch. I, and, it, and it's like, this is a slow time of year for us. Um, and so like, I'm able to say, Hey, we need to really be careful with, you know, just make sure we're not just stopping and chatting, but we're really working hard. Um, and so, and yet we're still keeping the quality with what we're doing, being efficient with the time and all that. And so, um, I have found it to be a really, really, uh, good thing for us, um, and, and for the team. So, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, I've got, one of the best teams um, around. Like I'm so grateful because I am not super organized. Uh, I'm a, I'm a creator. I'm a visionary. Like uh, the, the details of things don't always come to me. Um, so from an organizational standpoint, I'm not the greatest, Right. but like I've got a team that, um, and I would say if you're looking for a team, like you want to look for people in that team that are going to compliment you where you're weak. Um, you don't want them to look all like you because it would be horrible. Like you want to have people that are going to compliment. For sure. Um, and plus yeah. it makes a well-rounded scenario, right? And it also makes everyone have kind of their role. And so, yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. I know that one of the things with employees is um, it's interesting because if you compliment one person, it's very easy for the other employees to feel like you're, you've criticized them which is not at all the scenario, you know, but it's interesting how people interpret your actions as the leader of a company. And so you really kind of have to be, you know, sensitive to that. And I really like your approach of bringing them into a weekly meeting kind of for a huddle, like, Hey team, (laughs) this is what we got going on. This is what we got to get accomplished. And, you know, and that also gives them a voice to be able to say, Hey, I'm going to need this to be able to execute something or whatnot. So I like your approach. Thank you. 
And so, David, you mentioned you have four children and you've obviously started this business. How have you managed and balanced your family time then? And how also have you um, sort of integrated your family into what you're doing with uh, Goods and Pecans? Um, that's a great question, Justin. I, um, yeah, it, it, I think that's a constant uh, tension that I face. And I, I think it's good for me to face tension because there's, uh, you know, I value my, my um, wife and my children uh, tremendously and also value, uh, you know, my business and just what I'm trying to do as an entrepreneur with that. Um, you know, and, and as much as I would say, uh, like, I'm, you know, I'm doing this business for them, you know, to benefit them, I've, I've got to realize that I can't do this business without them, you know? Um, and so I really, uh, my wife keeps me in check, you know, I, uh, you know, and I'm sometimes we're not the best communicators, (laughs) but I really have to, uh, we have to just make time and pause. And sometimes it's get away. It's going off for a weekend. Um, we did that just a couple of weeks ago. We had an event in Columbus, Georgia called Toast of the Town. She and I went up there and did the event. Um, it's a great event. And then we stayed over for the night and, um, and you know, and, and really hung around there for a bulk of the rest of the next day. And we just talked. Um, and we're checking on family life uh, and even business. I mean, we're talking and processing things about the future and checking in on each other. But those are things where if I've got to realize if I want to, like I could forget all about them and probably have a successful business, an unbelievably successful business, but I would be so foolish because I've left them in the dust and I don't want that. Like I want them like, then that's what I said. As much as I would argue, I'm doing this business for you. Like I can't do it without them. Like, and so I've got to have them involved on, some level. So that's where I would say for me, I've loved being able to bring them into this business from an involvement standpoint. So Melody and I are very, you know, involved together. Although as this grown, like she's, she's been able to pull back and stay more at home with the kids. Um, and she does help, especially in the very busy season for us, but my kids have been able to kind of help more and we don't push it on them. Um, although there are times when it's like, Hey guys, everybody's going to the store and we're going to work, you know, but we've also got, um, like uh, my oldest son, uh, his name is, uh, Drew and he, uh, has, we have found like that the store has been a niche for him. Sales are actually a niche for him. And he, um, he goes with me to shows and, um, he was actually, when we talked about the flavor of Georgia earlier, he was at the flavor of Georgia with me, um, the last two years really in 2017 and 2018 and i probably nobody was more ecstatic about the award when it was announced than my son like his smile was you know for me here and so like they are seeing the value the business brings um by being involved with it but i just i just also want to just keep a pulse on it though and so it's it is those things and as i think through like what my ideal week looks like trying to make sure in that ideal week that I'm accounting for time with them. And I fail in this, uh, but I'm, 
I keep striving for it. I don't let my failures just kick me to the curb. Like every week, um, you know, one of the things I used to do great with my kids is I would just take them out on a, like a date, just uh, whether it was me and one of the girls or even me and one of the boys and we'll just we'll go somewhere. And I just spend time focusing on them um, and talking to them. So I want to have those times that I'm a dad um, and they don't just always see me as a boss or whatever. And so really, you know, those are just huge things for me. And I feel like even if my business doesn't just explode with growth right away, I'm okay with that because I value my family and I want to make sure that continues to stay priority. Cause if my, I just feel like if my family fails, um, uh, then my business hasn't been worth it, you know? So it's worth fighting for both to do well with both of them. Um, and, uh, and I think in that, like just being able to, I think, repent rightly when you mess up, um, because I am, I get, very involved with my business and I'm very passionate about it. And I just, I need my, my family to keep me in check and just say, you know, uh, you know, at least call me on the carpet when, when I've maybe been, been putting too much emphasis on it and not on them. So. There's a lot of wisdom in those words. And my my last question uh, for the podcast, David, um, I really do like what you said there. And I just, I do want the audience to know that I think that's hugely important. And we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast and, you know, I struggle with that myself sometimes and making sure I balance time between stepdaughters and, and Deborah and, and all my ambitions, because especially as a male and and an ego thing, I can certainly let my ambitions get the better of me sometimes and, and want to succeed. And, and, but I do have to take a step back and say, Hey, my success is not only in what I do, but who I do it with and, um, and making sure that they know they're a priority in my life, uh, and that I'm there for them no matter what I think is pretty important. So I'm glad we talked about that quite a bit. And I think all the entrepreneurs, that we hear on the podcast, a lot of the success they're having is when they find balance in that because they're not stressed about not spending time with their family. And while it's a constant thing that needs to be kept in balance and worked on, you know, it's always a work in progress. It's never a a perfection, but they seem to be able to value their business more and value their family more because they're able to balance it. So I did want to touch on that. So I'm really glad uh, you said that. Um, my last question, though, is so you have all these new customers coming in and, and people and people are starting to get loyalty. Do, how do you remain in contact with them? Is it something that they just keep coming back so it's easy or is it something that you you send out reminders every year during the holidays or how do you really keep your customer base engaged then? Because I'm sure there's other pecan companies that pop up and, and things like that. But so how do you really, for lack of a better term, keep your teeth in the customer? Hmm. Um, great, great question with that. We, we are growing in, I think we're growing better at what we have done in the past. Um, you know, I think, even three years ago, I would say we really aren't doing anything. You know, it's just like uh, we just expect them to come. 
um, back to us, but we're not doing a lot to remind them. We, uh, you know, we have over the years generated a, a great email list. And so for us, one of the greatest ways we can stay in touch with our customers is through. Uh, so, and, and when I think about customers, I think about our wholesale customers that are the specialty gift shops, you know, independent grocers and all that. Um, and then are just individual customers that may represent a family or whatever. And so the individual customers, like we have really gotten into a groove where we send out regular uh, email reminders. And it just may be a couple of times a month, but those are some things that we are trying to grow into. Again, as I've grown, like I, I maybe used to do that once a year, if that uh, was send out an email because I just, it was all on me. And as we've grown in employees, I've got, I've kind of grown to learn to trust like people to say, Hey, I need you to, um, I need you to do this. Can you do that? And I just fully trust them to get it done. But like we're, we are really getting into a great rhythm of sending out, um, you know, twice a month, sending out email reminders. We're beginning to see some good results for that. And what I'm finding is that is at least, putting an imprint on the, the person's mind, even if they don't see, if they don't click open on that email, they're remembering us. And so like it takes all those touch points of seeing, Hey, good to pecans, good to pecans, good to pecans. Well, it, when it comes time to buy pecans, it's like, Oh, get to pecans. That's where I'll get, that's where I'll get them from. And so the email is one level. And then I think, um, one, again, another area we're growing in is the social media aspect. And so having a stronger presence on social media for us and utilizing the social media to its fullest potential um, is a constant strategy for us, but it's something that uh, we're trying to really grow into as well. And so we've, we've really, um, I've got a, what I call like my media team, um, but they, uh, it, it's, it's the people that help with, with website, email, um, and the uh, social media. But we're beginning to come together to develop a plan for what you're talking about that is going to be continually engaging the customer. And I, I would think if you're not really processing how social media is playing in your, um, you know, in, in, in your customer relationships, like you've got to figure out on some level how to do that. And so, I know that um, areas where like touching uh, touching uh, base with customers that have bought through the website, those are things that we have on the horizon. We're going to try to grow into and maybe even begin to offer like uh, discount incentives and stuff to, if we haven't seen them order in a while and doing things like that. But those are, you know, the social media and the emails are ways that we help with the individual customers. And I would say with our wholesale customers, um, you know, it's those are the ones that we uh, also are growing into as far as reaching out to and making sure that we are at least touching base and saying, hey, we're here. If you need any help, you know, from a sales standpoint, any ideas on things or if we're running specials, we're reaching out to them. So and there's a, a company that. Uh, a website we use called blue cart um, for, for our wholesale customers. That has been a, a useful tool for us. Um, and it is a way that basically they can purchase um, products through, uh, through that website. 
that you give them access to. And then they can go in and put in their order. But you can also send out email reminders through it. And so it's it's been a very, very good. And I know there's other uh, platforms out there like that, but BlueCart currently is what we've been utilizing. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know such a an item existed. So I definitely want to make note of that for that the blue cart, the software, because I think um, even for the audience, a lot of people try to manage those wholesale relationships physically. And if there's a software and a back end that they can go into and use that to manage those relationships, I think that's huge. Yeah. No, it is. It's a great, um, it's, it's a very, very good one. There's a, um, there's another one. Uh, I am looking up something real quick. I was just going to tell you about uh, because um, it, it's. I was just recently at a Georgia Grown Symposium, and they mentioned it. Uh, I had never heard of it, and I may have to email you about it. But it's. Um, yeah, what I'll do then is I'll put it in the notes for the podcast. If you just want to email it to me, um, I'll make sure I put yep. it in the special mentions as well because uh, I have you know special mentions for Georgia Grown and obviously Flavor Georgia. And I do want yep. to special mention all of our farms because I think the whole oil thing is, is awesome and we've never talked about it on the podcast. So I'll give them a special mention as well. Um, but David, sure. I do want to thank you for being on the podcast. I think um, it's been knowledgeable and... I've learned a lot, so thank you very much. Well, thank you, Justin. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, just really your heart behind this to, uh, you know, I, I think I had read just where you're, one of your passions to do this is to give back, um, you know, uh, as, as far as just how you've, your experience in the, in the food industry and your drive even as uh, food entrepreneur on some levels and and um so i appreciate the opportunity because i think this is fantastic so thank you for allowing me the opportunity to come i appreciate that and i just want everyone to know in the audience um to david's point if you'd like the episode um and you like what what david's saying please share the episode with your friends and your family you know at least one person i think if we can get the word out there you never know when you're helping someone with business or um, the things that they're doing or can help them with a personal issue. So I appreciate um, everyone who listens in. And Deborah, thank you for always being my co-host. And you're I great. Have fun. It's great. I love yeah. getting to hear about all the different companies. And it helps me uh, bring my family into what I'm doing and, and what we're doing with the podcast. I, Deborah always says that it's my name on there, but she's just as much a part of it as I am. So I just want to say thank you, Deborah, and I do appreciate your time. I, I enjoy it. And uh, Deborah's really good at getting into the, the details and the story, so it's always great to have her on. But again, anyone in the audience, please share what we're doing. Uh, thank you guys for listening in. Please tell your friends and your family. And David, uh, it's been great talking to you. I, I'm looking forward to having you back on the show in you know, six yep. to eight months because I'd love to hear how you've progressed and um, how things are coming with your idea about the store on the farm. So I definitely yep. would love to have you back on the show if you'd be interested. I would love it. I would definitely love it. I've enjoyed it very much. And um, this is Justin in the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. Again, I'm Justin Bizarro. If you're interested on being on the Food 
on the Food Entrepreneurs podcast that we're doing, please reach out to me at justin.bizarro at gmail.com. And that's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. Or reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. And everyone have a great day and thank you for listening in.